Hello and welcome to episode 790 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Monday, March 9th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Justin Mason. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, I'm a bit tired. Uh, my wife has decided since I'm home and technically jobless, other than, you know, this kind of work, um, mm-hmm. that I get to wake up anytime the baby wakes up. And it's been a rough couple nights last few nights. Let's be honest, she's right. You're getting some extra sleep, so you can interrupt it a little Don't bit. You're still side with even, her. Even with those interruptions, you're probably still getting more sleep than you were when you were working. So this is uh, for those that don't know, Justin's in between jobs, so he has like a 19-day break where it's only fantasy baseball that he's working on. So uh, that helps us, too, by the way, because we're actually going to do a double recording today. You'll hear the other one tomorrow on Tuesday, but um, it's great. So I'm glad, glad you're enjoying some of your time off. And... Um, you did an online championship yesterday. Was that beat beat Justin Mason? Yeah, and they some people definitely beat Justin Mason. That was <laughs> it was a brutal draft. Uh, and there's a live stream of it on YouTube and Twitter uh, if people want to go and watch. Uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Vlad Sedler, Matt Modica, Colin Weatherwax, uh, Walter McMichael, um, John Fish, uh, and Colin joined me for the entire. Uh, mm-hmm. live stream and then a bunch of other guys kind of just jumped in here and there so it was, it was a lot of fun that's awesome yeah I was, I was checking bits of it out while I was streaming and um, it seemed like a lot a lot of fun Shark Tank there you talked to me about your team offline I really like the team you put together but you did highlight some other teams that are really strong so it'll be a battle but you didn't draft like 12 injured guys so I'm proud of you no, that was and I think that's going to serve you well yeah Colin took your main event model and said this is a way to win and i'm like wait colin no no no. he gave us a blueprint on how not to win Mm -hmm. it was it was like an anti-blueprint so to speak um you're not supposed to use that but uh we're talking first baseman today uh we finally finished our pitcher preview by the way thanks to those who commented how much they enjoyed it we went five parts and i was wondering like are people going to start getting tired of this but no we actually got rave reviews on going that deep so i really appreciate that we'll have first base second base and catcher this week. And we might even be able to fit in relief pitchers again, given your time availability and uh, and mine during the week and everything. We might actually be able to finish it out. So that way, those of you drafting this weekend have everything you need. Reliever is being saved for last on purpose because it's still a super volatile market. I have very little confidence in it, even now, let alone had we opened with it or something crazy like Should, that. We might but, need to redo starting pitcher considering all the injuries. That's true. I mean, you're barely kidding there. Like, there's a lot of things that have changed just, you know, in the past couple days, you know, with Sale uh, now going from the pneumonia stuff to to a full-on injury, Snell having a cortisone shot in his elbow, Justin Verlander leaving with a triceps injury. So things are being muddled again at the top, and it's it's wild. It's wild. And we already know that, you know, with NFBC specifically, the pitching market usually jumps up big time as – as March gets deeper, but now when you're losing guys, it's like it's that push pull. Yeah, it's going to jump up, but now is um, you know Justin Bieber being skyrocketed. I think we haven't seen the peak of Jack Flaherty yet, and he has like a min pick of 13 in an online championship, and I I, I don't think that's his high. Um, I think I think it will go higher. He has an 11 overall. Um, Across all their drafts, I don't know exactly what draft Flaherty went 11 in, but as far as the online championships go, his min pick is 13. And like I said, 
I think we're going to get a single-digit Flaherty pick at some point here. But uh, we're not talking pitchers right now. We're talking first base. So let's dive into it. Let's start with the superstars here. If you want to follow along uh, for the bulk of it, you can follow along by going to the NFBC average draft position, putting in February 29th through March 9th, and uh, and then submitting. But I did tack on some guys that were only in draft champions at the very end. So that's in the uh, in the rest pile, which is like – 15 players deep that we're not even going to talk about all of them anyway. So I don't think it's a big deal, but if you want to follow through the first several sections, you can do that. So we'll start at the very top with Cody Bellinger going around pick five, Freddie Freeman pick 21 and Pete Alonzo pick 35. So they're not really all together. They are kind of spaced out, but they are the three kind of well-regarded superstars as far as first baseman going early Bellinger, first rounder Freeman second rounder Alonzo usually more of a third rounder with a little variation for for Freeman and Alonzo are you in on Bellinger as the the fourth fifth pick type uh not anymore I I was he was my fourth pick uh but now I've moved both DeGrom and Cole kind of up to four or five just because of all the other injuries yeah it's because of what we just spoke about with regards to the other guys starting to get nicked, and now you have a little bit more uh, concern. Okay. Also, with regard, so now where are you taking him? Like six, six, seven, eight? Six, seven, something like that. It's between okay. him and Lindor for me. I had the six pick last night and had both starting pitchers gone. Uh, I would have taken uh, Bellinger or Lindor. I, I was still kind of going but back and forth. Cole. I got Cole, so that, that made the decision easier. Bellinger went uh, four, and uh, DeGrom went five. So uh, it was it was a pretty easy uh, decision for me. I, I love the outfield first base eligibility, the ability to mm-hmm. move him back and forth. You know, Obviously, having Mookie hit in front of him is going to be amazing for him. So I uh, love Bellinger this year. It's just hard for me to get him kind of where he's going. I ha- I, things ha- the board has to fall a certain way. Yeah, and you really have to be in that top half of the first round to even have a chance to decide if you want Bellinger or not. I love Bellinger, too. I think the only, and I I put it loosely, concern I have, it's not even like a full-fledged concern, but one of the things that I'm careful of with regards to, uh, because somebody asked when I did my first base rankings, if uh, because I put Bellinger and Freeman in their own tier, and he's like, well, Bellinger should be his own tier because of the speed. That's my only like little tinge of concern is that when it's 10, 14, 15, those are three stolen base totals, that can dry up quickly. I don't think it's a guaranteed lockdown. Now, he has the speed to do it. Bellinger does. But it only takes one knickknack injury or one yellow or red light from the Dodgers for those to go down to like four. And so I, I only caution against thinking that those are lockdown guaranteed steals. Uh let alone could go higher. Yes, they could, but but if you're not comfortable with him as say 40 110 110 with a with a 285 average and five steals, then don't draft him. Like if if those extra 10 stolen bases are why you're getting Bellinger, that's what I would caution against banking on. Just because when you're in the like sub-20 range of stolen bases, we've seen them fluctuate, and they can just evaporate for no real reason or, or even a reason that we're just unaware of um, that much. Like, oh, yeah, I had a, I had a knee that started in, in May, and I, just, I wasn't going to add to the, the potential injury of that knee, so I just stopped running, but everything else was 
just fine. So that's my only little caution with Bellinger. It doesn't necessarily change where I draft him because I'm okay with that with that line I just gave. So I would still take him in the middle of the first round, but not at four. I, I would take bets, and then at five, I think I would take one of the pitchers as well. So I do have him down in that six, seven, eight range with you as well. I'm Bellinger, but let's move to Freeman. Because um, I still think he's one of the most underrated fantasy superstars that we have. He just kind of like clockwork beasts out every year. Although last year was finally that big, full, everything came together year. Because I don't know if you know this, but last year's 121 ribbies were a career high. And only the second time that he's eclipsed 100 uh, RBIs. Same with his run stolen. He got 113. So as good as he's been, part of it's been injury and I guess part of it's just been the the, the team um, that Freddie Freeman hasn't put up the 100-100 every year, even though he's very capable of it. He also gives you a little contribution of steals, great batting average. Uh, do you do you see Freeman as one of those kind of underrated, boring, just steady Eddie second rounders, or or do you see more, or do you back off and, and go the other way? I kind of back off and go the other way, only because of the elbow issue. Uh, and I know he's supposed to play today. Uh, you know, and he's playing in the field, which is a good sign. I just, I'm a bit worried about that. And there's other guys around him that I feel are just as capable and just as underrated. Uh, because a healthy Freeman, yeah, is a, a completely underrated asset in, in fantasy. I mean, he's a guy who is going to deliver you strong average, uh, contribute in, you know, four categories, uh, great, you know, first baseman to kind of, you know, build a foundation on. I just worry that he's already dealing with elbow issues before the start of the season. We know this has been kind of an ongoing issue for him over the course of the last few seasons. I'm just kind of pushing him down my draft board, and which means I'm not going to get him because there's always going to be somebody who kind of takes him in the in the early uh, second round or you know sometimes yeah. mid second round, uh, and it's just Freeman doesn't really dip. Like yeah, he, he stays pretty steady in just, like. I'd rather have JD Martinez. Like it just, I, and I'm getting him, you know, bef, you know, after Freeman most of the time. So uh, you won't gain qualms for me on that. I, I I'm big on JD, and I like some of these other guys we're about to talk about a lot. And, and so I'm that's okay not passing, a negative yeah. on Freeman, but yeah, I will pass as well. So I can see scenarios where I would take him. I'm I'm not overly concerned about the elbow but it is a valid concern to to at least be be acknowledging and and there's just going to be other guys that i like uh at first base here coming up very shortly uh that make me say okay freddie freeman i'm moving on somebody else is going to get him good on them because he is a very quality player uh so let's move on then pete alonzo he's the new new kid on the block brilliant season last year generally when you have such an amazing season you you, you have to build in some regression, right? I mean, you led baseball with 53 homers, 120 ribbies, 103 runs, even the 260 average. This is full price. I won't have a single share of Alonzo. And it's not that I think he flops and becomes, uh, you know, the poor end of, of Joey Gallo when he was hitting 200 with uh, with the big homers. I, I don't I don't I'm not going that far. But I do think that that this this full freight price on Pete Alonso is too high. I don't I don't want to do it. Yeah, I mean zero speed. He had one stolen base last year. Not that you're drafting him for speed, but when I'm taking a guy in the second round or third round, I, I either want him to contribute 
to four categories or five categories. And I just feel he's going to have her power. We know that. Like, I, I think you can just lock in 40-plus bombs, uh, you know, probably you know, 110 RBI, 90 runs scored. My question becomes, what does the average look like? Uh, he hit 235 in the second half. Uh, after you know starting off hitting 280, still hit for the power. The power is still there, and I, I believe it will be. Uh, I just you know, I just worry that I end up taking a guy in the second or third round that's going to be like a 240 batting average, and that doesn't play for me. Exactly. That that's that's where it becomes scary. Now, when he does that this year and then drops, he's going to be one of your favorite picks because you like those batting average guys who. Uh, are, are sinkholes but could spike something back into 260 so when he inevitably hits 235 this year and everyone freaks out and moves him down too far then the pete alonzo we're, we're going to talk enticing. about one of those guys uh in in a, in a few tiers so so yeah like for me that's where i'm at and i i like um how you do buy in on those guys and kind of figure it out and and either spike some batting average elsewhere or hope that those guys can spike it but i i can't take pete at this price i just i just cannot so um, I acknowledge, I understand why people want him. It's too high for me, though. I got to jump down. So next jump uh, here, I did include him with those other two because there is a big jump here from Pete Alonso to our next guy, Matt Olson, at 52. Then Paul Goldschmidt at a very nice 69. DJ LeMay, who, who we have discussed at third base and will have it at second base as well, uh, at 70. Anthony Rizzo at 74. Max Muncie at 77. So a nice group here. I call them the studs after the first group being the superstars. Uh, you got no problems here if these are your starting first baseman. Let's start with Matty O. I love Matty O. Uh, I'm, I'm taking him over Alonzo, like over Alonzo. If, if I had to choose between the two, like let's say, let's say Alonzo dips a little bit and it's like pick 45. I'm taking Olsen over Alonzo. Wow, that's saying um, uh, a lot. Yeah, it's it's a slam dunk for me to be honest. And then with Freeman, that's one of the guys I'm bypassing. Uh, why I'm bypassing Freeman is because I'll just get Matty O 25 picks later. So I still think there's 45 homer upside here. Olsen ha had the hamate injury last year, and we all freaked out because we usually associate hamate with injury, uh, with power being sapped for that year and and potentially beyond. Um, he actually his his not having that happen required a re-examination of that and i think the data turned out that it has been a little bit overblown that hamate automatically equals power being eaten alive so he still hit 36 homers in 127 games like i said easy 40 homer power here i think even if the ball goes back to more of a neutral state i think 40 and 100 for matty o is is viable even in that ballpark so i love matt olson turning 26 this year uh Probably my favorite first baseman here, if not uh, Muncie, who we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. I love what do you this, think of Matty O? I love this entire tier, honestly. I mean, this is this is where I'm grabbing my first baseman. And like you said, it starts with Matt Olson. So uh, I've, I haven't gotten as many shares because uh, he's been kind of a pretty hot commodity uh, on the market. And he, he's, going, he's going pretty early. I mean, he's only 25 years old. Uh, I do believe that it's, it's 40 home run uh, plus upside. I mean, he hit 36 in 127 games last year um, and played a full 162 the year before. So uh, if if he stand on the field, which we, you know, assume he will, uh, I think we can kind of pencil in 40-plus 
uh, with like a 265 and room to grow. Yeah, I, I, I'll, pay, I'll pay the premium. Um, you, you, you're right that he is a hot commodity. People are, are picking him. I took him in a, in a draft recently. I picked 46. I've got no problem with that. I don't want to get left out in the cold at first base, and we're going to talk about how it does hit that cutoff where it really dries up. We're not there yet, but um, yeah, I'm 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 huge on Matteo, so I'm I'm definitely down to scoop him. Now, I will say, in the same draft that I was in, I believe this was my draft champions from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my boy Dusty got Paul Goldschmidt at 84, and looking at Matt Matt Olson at 46 versus Goldschmidt at 84. I'll give a little check mark to uh, Dusty on that one, g- given the prices. But he got Goldschmidt at an outlier. We're not, not really seeing him go at 84 with any regularity. Um, in fact, his max pick over the time period that we're looking at here is 80, um, w- with an ADP of, of 69, as I mentioned earlier. So Olsen's great. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt wasn't terrible last year. Um but certainly didn't pan out to expectations. I felt comfortable that he was going to go to St. Louis and just dominate, be himself. But even in an off year, he went 34, 97, 97. He did it 260, though. And that, that was a big dip from what we normally expect from Paul Goldschmidt. And the stolen bases continued their evaporation from 32 to 18 to 7 to just 3. That's probably no longer a part of his game. How do you feel about a... 32-year-old Paul Goldschmidt coming off of a, a down year for him. Let's let's put the emphasis on the for him part there. I think it's baked into the price. I mean, we're obviously not having to take him in the first few rounds. Uh, yeah, I think the speed hurts more uh, than anything, obviously. I think the average will bounce back a little bit. He had a, a career-low BABIP last year. I think we're looking at a guy who could probably hit 270, 280, 30-plus uh, home runs. And, uh, and and kind of just be a high floor guy. And I think those guys often get overlooked because people are shooting for the upside. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm I'm totally fine with him. I just took him in the Rasslam League. I like it. Um, and yeah, you know, it's a solid offense. It's not flashy in in St. Louis, but I think it's one of those offenses that. Well, plus they have Devil Magic. We know that, so they'll they're gonna have some some other guy be a Tommy Edmond this year out of nowhere. But they just kind of uh, are solid top to bottom, and and if they get any health from like a Carpenter um, and any Yadi Molina, then that strengthens it. So I think he he can get back to the the 100, 100. I mean, he's only three away from each, so that's not even going too far on Paul Goldschmidt to say that the batting average will be the key because the stolen bases are. Uh, I think ostensibly gone. I would I would bet on another three and nothing more. I'm I'm not I'm not pushing that total up at all uh, with regards to Goldschmidt. Let's talk Lemayhew. Uh, let's actually put Lemayhew and and Rizzo together here because I really see them as as pretty similar. Particularly if you buy in on Lemayhew's pop. Uh, if you don't, I think that becomes a separator. But if you think that Lemayhew can hit at least another. 22 23 Rizzo should hit more but I don't think it's uh, a a massive amount more he's been at 25 and 27 the last two years uh they're both high average guys I think their runs and ribbies will also be very good they're at the top of uh solid lineups as well so with LeMayhew having the triple eligibility and and Rizzo basically being a a Freeman-esque boring boringly solid guy who 
now is actually going a lot later. They, those two used to go hand in hand as far as draft spot. I remember when it was uh, you pick Freeman and then there goes Rizzo right after or vice versa. But now uh, Rizzo's dipped down to pick 74. Who do you like better between LeMahieu and Rizzo? And how much do you believe in LeMahieu's breakout last year? carrying this year let's give you let's say neutral ball so you don't have to say if the ball is the exact same uh i prefer lemayhu just because of the triple eligibility i just love having a guy on the squad uh that can play cover a lot of different spots for me if i get hit with injuries um i believe in a lot of the breakout obviously i think the power is likely to tick down but even with the injuries on the yankees it's still going to be a very good lineup uh, and I think he could challenge again for 100-100, uh, probably 19, 20 home runs, uh, you know, some chip-in steals, but like a 300 batting average. Like, I feel like I can pencil that in, uh, and a guy that can move around the diamond for me is is very valuable. Yeah, it's, it's like we've talked about it all, all season so far about how much we like the eligibility and uh, – that flexibility, what it can do for you, um, not only in your draft, but but even more so for me during the season, so that you can maneuver things around and make sure um, make sure that you can get all the hot free agents and you're not blocked off. Like, and there's nothing worse than seeing some stud come out. Everyone's gonna be bidding on him and and wanting him, and you're like, I can't even bid because I don't have a spot for him. Having guys like Lemayhew and Muncie that can move around, they actually share the same triple eligibility, first, second, and third. That opens things up. I really do like that. Now, I mentioned Rizzo. In the last two years, after four straight years of 31, 32 homers, does he get back to 30 homers this year? If you're if you're putting a projection out for a 30-year-old Rizzo, does he get back to 30 homers? I think he should be able to. It's going to be close. Like, I don't project him to like hit 35 or anything like that, but... I think I'm projecting 28 and anything else on top of its gravy. But, uh, I mean, he's also a guy that has shown the ability to hit 290. Uh, so, it's he's, you know, he's a, he's a really, really solid uh, four-category contributor. Uh, plays on a good team. I, I think there's a lot to really like uh, about Rizzo. And he's one of those guys that's just being overlooked as a guy in this tier. Uh, or yeah. really just the guy at the position anyways, and I, I think that's a mistake. I, I agree with that with regards to Rizzo, and that's that's kind of why I've kind of put him in some focus. And, uh, you know, if I don't get my boy Matt Olson, or, or maybe even if I just uh, have to go elsewhere on a different need and somebody else takes Matt Olson, I have no problem getting Rizzo. Uh, you know, really stable batting average, probably not going to, you know, you mentioned 35 homers. That would be a career high, which is kind of surprising to me because I'm surprised that he hasn't popped 35 at some point. He's He's been so good for so long. But, hey, give me my uh, high 20s and 95-95 with a 290 average. I'll take that all day. And he does give you a little knick-knack chip in steals, too. He's had fewer than five just once since 2013 when he had three. He was three for eight that year, then bounced back with 10. So he, he could – probably going to give you that uh, that four to six range uh even at age 30 for rizzo so he's kind of underrated and it's weird to say that because he is an established star but 
I, th- I think Anthony Rizzo is a bit underrated. Uh, let's move on to Muncie. We have discussed him at third base as well, so we won't belabor it too much because I do think LeMahieu and Muncie are best deployed at second base anyway, so we'll get into them more there. But back-to-back 35 homer seasons, he totally backed up what he did last year. I love him. I got, I've been getting some heat about ranking him pretty high um, at first and, and second, but I, I think he's an absolute monster. And I actually think there's a little bit of batting average upside Again, it's one of those things where I'm acknowledging it, but not projecting it. I'm not putting him down for 270, 275. But the way he strikes the ball, uh, I don't think that that would be out of bounds for Max Muncy. And he does have a fly ball lean, but it's not aggressive. In fact, it's more of a a one-to-one. It's not Reese Hoskins here hitting 50% fly balls. So I think we could even see, you know, if we go 35, 95, 95, but then hits 275, I mean, that, that'd that be crazy. Plus, he's only played 137 and 141 the last two years. Part of that, most of that is just Dodgeritis, as Nick calls it, uh, because they 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 don't have to play him every day. They can kind of slot him in. I think there's still playing time and volume upside as well. Again, not baking, not projecting it, but buying him knowing that I have that in the back pocket as well. He's going to bat second between Betts and Turner. Or bets and uh, yeah, I guess it'll be bets and Turner because they're going to go right, right, left, right, left. But I don't know. I love Muncie and I, I love getting pieces of this Dodgers lineup. I'm a huge fan, and it sounds like you're a pretty big fan of of Muncie as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think Ohori Mateo I has probably have the most shares of, but uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm actually trying to find my shares page, and I can never remember where it's at. Uh, yeah, I I just discovered it the other. I've been being a total noob and doing it by hand and i just saw somebody share theirs the other day i was like oh that's excellent but i forget where it is too uh so but it's it's one of the, i mean i i get him on every team i can uh and it's the triple eligibility it's the stability uh i mean like i said 35 home runs each of the last few years i mean that lineup somehow got better this off season uh i don't think he's gonna have to worry about playing time uh anymore i think they're just gonna slot him in and he's going to play every day. So, uh, I actually paired him and LeMayu in my, uh, online championship, uh, last night, uh, just Love soaking it. up That's all the eligibility. Such a good pair. Well, you got the double, you got the triple eligibility from both, but their, their stats intermingle perfectly too, because if Muncie just hits 245 to 50 again, which is what you're going to be projecting, you're getting that average greatness from LeMayu. And if LeMayu's pop doesn't stay and is more of an 18 to 20, you're getting the power overflow from Muncie, so I love them as a as a one-two punch there. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, I I don't understand why he's actually going as low as he is. I've I've popped him a few rounds earlier in, in a number of drafts, so uh, I'm I, I'm totally I'm totally down on on Max Muncie this year, or totally on Max. Totally, Muncy. we're down with him. <laughs> down, we we yeah. love him. Is what we're trying to say. Just <laughs> say you love him. Just say you love I love him. him. Um, all right. So that finishes off the the studs tier. Now we're going to the foundational tier. You know, you're fine if you get most of these guys. We'll actually talk about one who's dealing with a little something right now. I think if you, if you are stacking up your infield uh, outside of first base, your outfield, your pitching, and you just don't get any of those first eight, you're not out in the cold yet. But you got to get one of these guys, in my opinion. And this is a this is a pretty big group here. So let me uh, let me pull this back up. So we've got Jose Abreu at seventy seven. Frankly, I could have included him with that other group because uh, now there's a, a twenty point ADP drop. So I'll, I'll 
I'll, I'll mentally put him in that other group because I think he does kind of belong there, at least as far as the market goes. Because now we jump down to Josh Bell at 98, uh, Reese Hoskins at 119, Trey Mancini at 123. We'll discuss him in detail. Danny Santana, 137. Carlos Santana at 149, Yuli Gurriel at 162, Edwin Encarnacion at 173, and Luke Voigt at 190. So, like I said, Abreu probably should have been in that other group there. Uh, that was just a miss by me when I was when I was putting together the list. Uh, I didn't realize that he was literally right there with Muncie. And, you know, he quietly had a fantastic year last year. Do you realize that he led the American League in ribbies? I did not realize that, but it's not surprising uh, people were down on him last year because mm-hmm. uh, of kind of the down 2018, but that lineup is slowly getting better and better, uh, and I think they're they're continuing that this year. Obviously, uh, in I mean doesn't walk, but that's okay. You know, as long as you're playing in an average league, uh, you know, gonna deliver a good average, gonna deliver uh, home runs and RBIs, and and you know a fair amount of runs scored. It's he's he's a very unsexy but safe kind of pick. Exactly. And it's almost like a discount Rizzo, right? Where he's been doing it for years. Um, the, like he doesn't have the batting average every single year because in 18, he only hit 265, but all the other years he does. So yeah, I think that's the comp I'm going to use is a little bit older, but a discount Rizzo at age 33, the lineup's getting better and he just led the league in uh, runs batted in with 123. So he might not match that, but he should go over 100 again, which would be his sixth in seven years. Uh, yeah, the 78-68 ribbies and runs from 2019, 2018 excuse me, for Abreu is what tempered people. But he played 128 games. Like, there was a reason, right? He was hurt, so it tanked his numbers a little bit. But it, there, I don't know if there was any reason. It's easy with hindsight to say. I'll admit that. I don't know if that should have been a panic of like, this is the beginning of the end, but you see that with a 32 year old who wasn't on a great team and people were like, Oh, let me lay off of that. But he quietly had a really great season. Uh, Abreu did. So I'm, I'm happy to put him in that other group of studs. In fact, for our rundown here, I'm going to move him up there because that is where he belongs. So now we move on to Josh Bell and excellent season last year, all told. Some people are going a little bit too far, boiling it down to the great, like one great month. I've heard him described as uh, because of the because of the May, which is a little unfair. I mean, he did it twelve homers with a three ninety average and twelve thirty eight OPS. But he had a nine fifty five in April as well, and a nine twenty seven in August. The other three months were seven sixty four, seven sixty nine, and eight oh three. But he tallied um, 11 homers in the—I guess that's only 11. Only two homers in September. He only played 11 games, too. So keep a, keep an eye, keep that in mind as well. Bottom line is you start parsing too much on that. Don't forget that months are still very arbitrary, right? It's just a 30-day sample. They fit neatly because you know they have names, but— it's not really that different than if you take uh, mid-month of June through mid-month of, of July and, and, and call that a month of some sort. So bottom line was 277, 37, 116, and 94. Uh, that's ribbies and runs for Josh Bell. The team isn't go- going to be good this year, but they're one of those bottom-feeding teams that actually has talent, though. Like Kevin Newman, Brian Reynolds, Gregory Polanco, if and when healthy, Adam Frazier, like – I didn't name a bunch of studs there, but it, this doesn't feel like my Tigers, right? It doesn't feel like the most inept offense out there. 
So the bulk of what's going to be around Josh Bell is pretty solid. I don't know, though. I, I, I also, like, I don't boil him down to one good month, but for Josh Bell, I've been passing him pretty easily in drafts. What, what, do, you, what do you think about Bell coming off the huge season? Um, at, at pick 97, too, I don't, I don't think the market is charging a huge uh, tax on what he did last year, but I'm in between, so let me, let me hear where you're at. Uh, I'm a bit in between, too. I mean, yeah, the second half was dreadful. Only 10 home runs. I think he had, like, 230-something. Uh, part of that was fueled by, I think, a what, 240 BABIP, 241 BABIP in the second half. Uh, I, You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not super worried about him. Obviously, he's going to regress a little bit. But I think you could probably pencil him in for 30 home runs and a 270 batting average. Uh, the question is, that team, the top part of the lineup isn't bad, so he should, I mean, well, it's not It's not great, but it's not bad. Uh, he should drive in some runs. I just, the, the bottom part of that lineup is atrocious. It, it, it is bad, and I, I purposely made sure that I was talking about the parts that are going to affect Bell, but the bottom half affects it too because it doesn't get to the top half as, as quickly. No, you're, you're, you're right to bring that up. He could also get like 60 runs scored. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy said yeah. behind him, Gregory Polanco, uh, who, uh, I mean, at this point, it just I just don't know if it's ever going to happen for him. Colin Moran, uh, Jacob Stallings, and uh, Gerard Dyson. Gerard Dyson. I mean, that could be uh, pretty brutal for the guys who are supposed to drive him in, especially with a guy with a walk rate like his uh, that's going to get on base uh, via the free pass quite a bit. Uh, I, I'm i torn on him. Uh, usually I have a first baseman by the time we get to Josh Bell, but I've also seen him mm-hmm. slip in a number of drafts. And in, in those drafts where he slips, if I haven't grabbed one of the earlier guys, then uh, he definitely will be someone I take a look at. Yeah, there, there, there is a price, right? We we say that you know everyone has has the price. His max right now for Josh Bell in this range that we're talking about, February 29th through March 9th, which is 27 online championship drafts, is 120, uh, which would drop him down closer to Hoskins and Mancini, who we're going to talk about here in just a second. Actually, the next two guys. So it's a pretty tight range. Uh, he goes as high as 81, which actually wouldn't move him in the list. Uh, so he, he kind of lives here at this 10, 10, 11, 12 spot for Josh Bell. I don't know, man. I, I usually just pass because either I have one as well, like you're talking about, Muncie, uh, Olsen, maybe even LeMayhew, although I would be more inclined to put him at second. Um, or I go for somebody else in this tier who I really love, uh, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. So I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry I don't have like a definitive how I feel about Josh Bell. I'm just a little eh. And I think the team context is going to be my tiebreaker, which means I'm not going to take Josh Bell very often. So I, I, I there's my definitive answer. Fair, yeah. I'm, I'm generally passing. All right, let's talk about Reese Hoskins. Uh, tough year last year. I, I invoked his name a moment ago with regards to his batted ball profile and it is problematic there is such a thing as too many fly balls right remember when the revolution was first starting and jd and and all those guys were doing it it's like hey man just get the ball in the air doesn't matter how much well we found the breaking point and 50 percent is too much reese hoskins you you got you got to tone it down a little bit 
Um, you know, he still had 29 homers, 85 ribbies, 86 runs, but it came with a 226 average. So it was one of those seasons that that definitely hurt you and was not what you wanted, but also didn't destroy your team. You know, it's one of those where you're like, ah, I really didn't get what I expected, but it was range of outcomes. If you looked at last year, 18s, 246, 34, 96, 89, and didn't believe you could get 226, 29, 85, 86 this year, uh, in 19, well, then you're foolish. So it was in the range of outcomes. It was just on the lower end. Is there a rebound here, though? Does does he adjust his batter ball profile to bring the fly ball rate closer to, say, 40, 40%, 43%, hopefully converted into line drives? That'd be great. But even if it's ground balls, just get the ball out of the air a little bit so you're not giving all those infield. Because those infield flies are basically strikeouts. They're free outs. Uh, it's, it's a guaranteed out. So even though he only struck out 25%, which isn't terrible for a slugger, he had a 15% infield fly ball rate uh, for Reese Hoskins. So where do you stand on him as a potential rebound? And is he somebody that you're buying? I'd like to uh, uh, coin the term the Ryan Schimpf effect. Uh, as, oh, goodness. <laughs> that is as a too, guy too, who's too true. A guy who's who adds way too much to his launch angle to the point where it's all infield fly balls. Uh, yep. So, uh, yeah, I think there is a bounce back for Hoskins, and I think he's one of these guys that if you like the punt batting average strategy, you go get him because it really can't be any worse than it was last year. So I think he could easily bounce back to like a 240 uh, kind of batting average. Uh, he's obviously going to hit for power. Yeah, the, the bad ball profile isn't... Uh, pretty, but I'm sure he's been working on that. The, the Phillies are a smart organization, uh, and I'm sure they, they've been working on that with him in the offseason in, in spring training. So I, I'm not like on the full hype train, but I think he is a bit of a discount right now. Yeah, I, th- I think there there is some potential here. And, you know, I was buying him in 19 under the idea that 40 homers were plausible with some batting average upside. Of course, it, it it suggested that he would get the ball um, again in the line drive ground ball situation a bit more often because he had a 52% fly ball rate in 18. So he was already telegraphing this a little bit uh, and, and dropped the fly ball rate by a percentage point, but still had the bigger issues because his infield fly rate jumped up four points for Hoskins. So I, I, I can see scenarios where I get him. It, it's not a target. And again, there are guys we haven't gotten to that I, I like more even in this tier. But I'm not fully out on Reese Hoskins. It's more of like, okay, he's there. I'll, I'll, I'll take the shot here. And he ranges from 96 to 144. And if you start getting toward the lower end of that, which would be in between the Santanas, Danny and Carlos, and I need the power more, if I just need the raw power more uh, than like Santana's power speed, uh, Danny's power speed, I should say, yeah, I'll take Hoskins. So there, there is a price. Um, I'm not targeting him, but I'm also not crossing him off by any stretch of the imagination. All right, so Trey Mancini had something come out recently. It's pretty scary because it's uh, because of how cryptic it was that he's dealing with a non uh, non baseball related medical emergency that that requires um, you know that required a, a surgery or pr- procedure yeah, procedure yeah, surgical procedure. So we don't know what it is. Uh, we're not going to sit here and speculate on it. We, we have our own ideas, but we're going to respect the privacy that he's looking for here. He was on Twitter 
saying, hey, thank you all so much for the well wishes and everything. We're going to handle this and move forward. Um, I just hope he's all right at this point. I couldn't give a shit less about the baseball aspect of it uh, because it does sound scary. But it, we, with him tweeting out yesterday, I felt a little bit better about it, and I hope everything's all right. But um, if we're going to spin it back to fantasy a little bit and, and actually care about the baseball for a half second, even though his health is all that matters, are you kind of moving him off the board right now and, and just – what, hoping that he gets well and, and dealing with the, everything else later? Yeah, I just can't imagine I'm going to take him with the kind of information that we have, which isn't very much. So, uh, mm-hmm. Colin Weatherwax uh, took him in our online championship in the 22nd round, uh, which I have no problem with. I just typically, if, if I'm going to take a shot on a guy who's injured and we don't really know the timetable for, uh, I probably want... Uh, just a bit more upside than than Trey Mancy. Not to say that I think he's been kind of an underrated guy in fantasy in recent years. You know, yeah. another multi-positional eligible guy uh, that uh, you know has power, is hit for average, is in good stadium. Uh, the defense doesn't matter because the Orioles suck and they just don't care. Uh, so <laughs> um, I, it's a, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that he's uh, got to go through this, but. Uh, unlikely I'll get any shares. I don't have any, uh, so far. So, um, but, uh, wish him the best. Yep. I think that sums it up. And I just, I want him back on the field. Hopefully everything goes well, uh, with Trey Mancini. There are certain leagues where you can draft him and stash him. But again, that's the furthest thing from our minds right now. We just want him to get well. Let's talk about the Santanas, Danny and Carlos. Both had breakout seasons last year. Now, Danny was kind of coming back from, uh, you know, what, what fantasy zombie is what uh, Matthew Berry and Nate Rabbits used to call him. So total, total, total fantasy zombie uh, last year. Meanwhile, Carlos Santana had a weird breakout in his mid-30s. He was a, an established, you know, total steady Eddie. You knew what you were getting. Bad batting average, solid pop. Um, and, and solid runs and ribbies for what he costs. And actually, weirdly enough, he kind of been a chip-in steals guy for most of his career. A lot of, a lot of fives sprinkled around his uh, profile there, including an 11 back in 2015. But, you know, you're, you're not worried about that. That's not why you were ever drafting Carl Santana. But then last year, spikes a 281 average, uh, 34 homers, 93 ribbies, 110 runs. Everything coalesces brilliantly there because the batting average ticked up for Carlos Santana. But he's thirty-six or thirty-four years old this year, so it's like, oh my goodness, how much do we believe in that? Was it the ball, et cetera, et cetera? What it was is exactly part of what we're talking about here with like a Reese Hoskins got the ball out of the air a bit more. Now he wasn't as heavily uh, fly ball dependent as Hoskins, but he went from forty-four percent to thirty-eight percent, put it all on the ground. Uh, the infield fly ball rate went from eighteen to nine percent for Carlos Santana and the batting average spiked and uh the BABIP was part of it of course too 293 easily uh not a career high but a a six-year high by far his previous high in the last six years for Santana was 274 um, and the year before in 18 was 231 so he spiked way up but 293 is not egregious either so it's like there's some believability here but I think even at the price if he goes back to Carlos Santana maybe not 18 Carlos Santana when he hit 229, but the guy we'd been used to before that, uh, 259 with, I don't know, mid mid to high 20s homers, 80-80 with his three to five steals, you're okay at this price with that, but can he hold these gains and be the same guy again? Oh, 
I think he can. I mean, the exit velocity uh, was in the top 7% of the league last year. Uh, the batting average is the one I don't believe. I think that's going to come back down to earth, but I think he can still hit. To where, though? Uh, I think he's probably back down to where uh, he kind of sits in his career, like, you know, 250. His career 250. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, maybe. But not that 229 trash from 18. That... No, I mean, he had a 231 BABIP that year. Like, it, that was. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that was just. Um, but I think he could still hit, you know, upper 20s, maybe low 30s home runs. Uh, you know, obviously huge bump in on-base percentage league. Uh, I just took him in that cut line uh, that I'm doing right now uh, because dude does not strike out. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, he, I think he – and he's one of those guys that people kind of overlook because he – I think, people, one, he's, you know, 34. You're going to be 34 years old uh, next month. Um, but I, I seem like it seems like people may think he's even older than that because he's just been around forever. Um, so I, yeah, I, I like Carlos Santana. I'm not getting a ton of shares, but kind of picking and choosing my spots, especially if I kind of miss out on some of the first other first basemen I really like. Yeah, I, I think all, all that all, all that's crystallizing my thoughts as well on Carlos Santana. So I'm I'm there, and I'm not averse to getting him. And then the guy at the end of this tier as my first end corner. If I don't get Matty O or, or Max Muncy, uh, let's stay with the the older sect of first baseman here and talk about Yuli Gurriel, who also had a breakout uh, last year at age 35, where he collectively hit the same amount of homers last year, 31, that he'd hit in the two years previous. Uh, 1,137 plate appearances to hit 31 homers, and then just 612 to hit the same 31 last year. He's always been a batting average guy, and late batting average is – I mean, this guy should be fitting your teams very nicely when you're punting batting average because you can slot him in and cover some of those guys. Um, now the price has really jumped up, though, because that power uh, pushes him up. He used to go – I think he used to go after pick 200, unless I'm crazy. I think last year, or, you know, because he's older, too. Uh, his first third eligibility, pick 162, obviously they won't – be having trash can bangs this year as well. What do you do with Yuli Gurriel coming off this crazy season now that the price is uh, is more in line with a uh, premier player, even though it's still discounted because of age and because it was a one-year deal? Yeah, I, I want nothing to do with Gurriel. He's he's uh, the guy I'm completely avoiding, even though he does kind of fit that uh, profile that I usually go for. I just, I'm afraid the power is going to just you fall off the map. And uh, you know, and go back to his teens home runs. Uh, I think you're going to get strong average from him. Uh, I think, you know, probably get decent counting stats, uh, being on, on that team. But, uh, yeah, I just, I just don't trust the power at all. I think he really benefited from the juice ball. Not to say that we're not necessarily going to have that again, because we have no idea though. I mean, if, if the early indications, of what we've seen in spring training uh, are indicative of what we're going to see in the regular season, then it appears that the that it's going to be a little bit more dead uh, than it was last year. So I'm I'm just staying away from Guriel and uh, you know let someone else kind of grab him there. Fully agree. Um, it's just I'm not I'm not paying that price. I liked him as the batting average, uh, you know oasis there later in drafts but now that the price is up no thanks 
I'm going to pass. I'll see what's what. It's it's one of those things where if somebody catches the windfall and he does back it up and hits, you know, 27 homers this year, just takes a few off while still hitting 290 plus. Hey, I tip my cap to that person for taking the shot. It's not who I want. There are other guys I want. Um, in fact, the next or not the next guy. Sorry, the guy after that. Um, I'm all, it's all leading up to me gushing over Luke Voigt again. Let's be honest. But let's talk about Edwin Encarnacion first. Still hit 34 homers last year in just 109 games. So he kept his streak alive of seven, uh, eight straight years of at least 32 homers. He's been an absolute monster. Only had 86 ribbies and 81 runs because of the time missed. But everything else was in line. I mean, that's that's a pretty quiet, awesome season at age 36 for Encarnacion. And I got to be honest, for as much as we talk about ageism, I would have thought he'd be cheaper at age 37 but it seems the market is at least acknowledging how good he's been and kind of making sure his price doesn't go too far down. Now, 173 is still a very fair price, but usually 37-year-olds, no matter how good, seem to dip uh, even further. But he's going to go out to the White Sox. You talked about those, that team consistently improving themselves. That is one of the improvements. So uh, along with Yasmani Grandal, they're going to be in the heart of that order. So Abreu might not drive in 123 again, but he could score a ton of runs with Grandal and Encarnacion and Aloy Jimenez behind him. What does Encarnacion do at age 37, and are you there to buy at at a 172 price tag? Yeah, I'm there to buy. I I think he's kind of uh, <laughs> it feels like as safe as they come, and uh, I love the situation he's going to be in uh, in Chicago, kind of batting in the middle of that up and coming lineup. I think you can pretty much just lock in, you know, 30-plus home runs, you know, the the crappy average, but the counting stats to go along with it. Uh, I think I'm a bit higher. I, well, actually, ATC seems to kind of nail it for me. The 32 home runs, 78 runs, 90 RBI, 246. I, f- I feel like that is probably what he'll do. Sign me up. Yep. Sign, sign, sign me up for that. with Ed. Especially because really soon the drop-off comes, and it's... Uh, yeah. You know, there's definitely a few guys I like going behind him that I wouldn't mind putting in at my first base or or, or CI. But uh, you know, there's a lot of other people who are on the Luke Voits and the Jock Petersons and the CJ Crons of the world. Uh, and I don't like always being that guy that says, "Oh, well, I can just get this guy later," because there could be someone mm-hmm. else in my league that says I can get this guy later. And if he picks before me, I'm I'm kind of screwed. Plus, yeah, I mean, the the upper tiers of first base are so rich that, yeah, you can get a capable guy, but you're still behind because everyone else is getting premier talent there. So um, if you draft a premium first baseman and then you're putting Edwin as your CI, that could be awesome. And he played more first base than DH last year, believe it or not, 57 versus 51 games. Uh, He should be almost exclusively DH this year. So it should keep him off his feet, hopefully keep him a bit bit healthier there uh, with Abreu and even Grand. Dahl manning first base sometimes on his off days so now we get to luke voigt to cap off this this tier i love luke voigt that's that's the guy i've been alluding really? to every time here like yeah yeah i know I, I never never talk about it i never write about it i uh, just i'm just not i'm keeping it under wraps this year that i like luke voigt this is my unveiling that i like him <laughs> no i won't shut up about him i really i really do like him um this is who i'm talking about saying i'll pass to to get uh to get a guy later in this tier this is that guy luke voigt now I understand that people had playing time concerns uh, because they do have a little bit of crowding. That's already taken care of itself with with Judge and Stanton doing their thing. I understand that they will come back at some point, though, too. 
I don't think Luke Voigt is the loser, though. I still think it's more of like a Mike Talkman situation How where Gene Carl Stanton just has to go into the outfield and um, and Andahar gets to play DH. Uh, there was also talk of Andahar playing the outfield. I think if Luke Voigt is healthy and doing his thing, he's not he's not getting benched. Uh, not for any you know appreciable amount of time. He'll have his off days here and there. But this dude can absolutely smoke the ball. He's been a total monster. Uh, pretty much since joining New York, if you look at his combined numbers, he's basically put up a full season of time there. Because he, he only played 118 games last year, but you throw in the uh, the 39 that he had the year before, so it's 157 games as a Yankee, 35-95 with 100 runs and a 280 average. I think I can get that this year in a full season. Obviously, he has to play a buck 57, but when you're drafting this late, you don't need somebody to play 157 games. That's the upside side though that's the upside i'm getting i'll take 135 games of uh, of those per, of that performance you know tamped down or extrapolated down i guess you wouldn't extrapolate down but you know what i mean shaved down off of the rates that we've seen but i believe in luke void as a massive power source and even some decent batting average capability i don't know about the batting average portion of it but otherwise i'm fully on board i think this idea that he's gonna lose playing time is a bit silly because the reason he lost playing time last year is because the Yankees had Didi Gregorius playing short and uh, Gleyber Torres playing second. Uh, Didi Didi gone, uh, and so Didi gone. Uh, Lemayhew is going to be the everyday second baseman. Who are they going to put it first? It's Voight. Luke like, Voigt. Like they're not. I don't think like Mike Ford or Tyler Wade is cutting into or his Andahar. Andahar is garbage uh, defensively. Uh, and and, it, and that that garbageness will be there at first base too. Like we equate easiest with easy. First base is the easiest position. It is not easy. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that Andujar is going to be a solution. I think they are only putting him out into the outfield uh, because they are really just desperate at this point. Um, I think he is probably a DH. Uh, yeah, I mean, do they really want to put a six-foot, a right-handed, <laughs> crappy defender at first base? Uh, I, I don't think so. It's it's. Uh, no. I, I think yeah. Uh, he played first base uh, the other day and, and committed an error. Like <laughs> like it's, it's. Remember when they put Sheffield there many moons ago? Mm-hmm. And it was so embarrassing. I felt so bad for him, dude, because it was clearly so difficult. Uh, no, it's 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 bad. And by the way, I don't want to overstate the uh, the batting average upside on Voigt. I know he's hit 280 as a Yankee. Uh, that's really heavily influenced by the 333 that he put up in the first 148 plate appearances. But he hit 263 last year. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think 260 is where I would project him. I'm I'm cool with that. But and then I'm I'm a little bit of good luck from like a 275 280. That's all I'm saying. I'm, again, I'm I, I not think he's a guy. Him. I think he's definitely a guy who could pop in the batting average department if he gets lucky on. Uh, you know, balls in play. I mean, and he's shown the ability to have like you know huge babips throughout his career, anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me. But I mean, for me, it's 30 home runs, 260 batting average, uh, good counting categories, and extremely cheap price. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you're you're outlining why I love him so much, and with the price that that you're paying here. I have no problem jumping in. So I, ideally, he's my CI with a, with a Muncie Olsen first baseman. 
But if for some reason things break and I don't have my first baseman yet and I have to put Voight as my first baseman, I'm okay with it because I don't believe that his batting average or that his uh, playing time, excuse me, is going to be compromised in any appreciable way. Um, all right. So now the next group is mostly corners. You, you really shouldn't be starting these guys as your first baseman. You have waited too long and you, you better be stacked everywhere else or else you're really behind the eight ball uh, here. For Christian Walker, oh, hang on, let me get the ADPs. Christian Walker at 206, Jock Peterson, 237, CJ Crone, 240, Eric Cosmer, 246, Daniel Murphy, 248, Michael Chavis at 250. So let's talk about this group here. Christian Walker had the big breakout season last year. Uh, really made sure that Arizona Diamondbacks fans didn't really miss Goldie that much because when you also factor in that that Weaver, when he was pitching, and Carson Kelly did well, the pieces that they did get, plus his replacement Walker uh, held his own, they didn't really miss him. But it was not of nowhere, 29 homers, 259 average, 73 ribbies, 86 runs, and eight chip-in steals uh, as a 28-year-old. Part of it was that he, he hadn't really played before that, so it the reason it was out of nowhere is because he had 99 combined plate appearances from 14 to 18 before that. So what do we do for an encore here at age 29 with Christian Walker? Do you, do you put regress these numbers heavily? Do you think it's the same thing? What, what do we think? I think there's minor regression, uh, you know, maybe in like the power department. Uh, I think there is, a little bit of riskiness with the guys who were behind him on the depth chart. Uh, and that, that is kind of my bigger fear. Like I, I don't think anybody ever questioned Christian Walker's ability to hit. It was his defense was so bad, uh, that we didn't know where he was going to play. And in Baltimore, there was no DH spot available because they've signed really, really crappy, DHs to, to kind of, you know, it's a Trey Mancini problem. Like, I don't think people necessarily question Trey Mancini's ability to hit. It was just like, like, will they be willing to play his crappy defense out they had, there? They had Mancini, Chris Davis, and Mark Trumbo, and, and Christian mm-hmm. Walker was just at redundancy to the yeah. highest degree, right? Because he's, he's those three guys, you know? So I, I don't have that much fear about Christian Walker as an overall player. I do have a bit of fear of Kevin Cron and Seth Beer just tearing up the minor leagues and the Diamondbacks being put in a position where they don't know what to do. Uh, I mean, in, like, Beer has the exact same problem as Christian Walker. He is an atrocious defensive player, uh, but that mm-hmm. bat is major league ready. Uh, it's, I mean... With and, Beer? Yeah, and, and we saw it, yeah, like, yeah. on full display at AFL where... Like, yeah, he raked, but he missed the most simple pop-up that my daughter, who's only played one year of T-ball, <laughs> could have gotten. Like, it just was, Dude. like, it was it was so embarrassing for him. Uh, like, I mean, it just completely missed it. It was, I mean, uh, th- there was no rationale on how, how a major league or a minor league ball player misses that. Um, it's tough that he got traded to the... National League. Yeah. Uh, they, needs, they need that DH like yesterday. Yeah. I mean, him. we used to make the joke that no player needed the DH more than Kyle Schwarber, and obviously that's yep. not true anymore. But no, no, he improved his defense. Yeah. Uh, there's no player that needs the DH more uh, to the National League than Seth Beer. Uh, so that being said, they've also been willing to play Christian Walker, who's not a good defensive first baseman either. Uh, 
so that's my concern. And and because of that, I've kind of passed on him. And it's probably a mistake because I think he's going to deliver, you know, 25-plus home runs with a decent average and decent catting uh, uh, stats because Arizona is, uh, uh, you know, kind of an underrated offense. Thank you. That was going to be my my next point was that his runs ribbies should be solid because of that because of that team. Yeah. My question is like, what can we expect from him if he only gets like 120 games? Okay, I, I, that's not completely unfair because um, the the guy's breathing down his neck. The outs above average metric did like him though. He was actually second to only Matt Olson with nine, but the other defensive metrics didn't. And so they 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 measure different things, you know, like a UZR, a DRS, uh, and all that. Actually, DRS did like him. He actually had 11 DRS. But um, when you're looking at the defense, the, the different defensive metrics, they don't all just measure the same thing in different ways. They're all kind of looking at different stuff. With the stats, with with the stat cast outs above average, it's like um, the percentage that the play is likely made, and then you know you're getting credits and debits based on you making that. So you make some great fancy plays. Uh, you can really push your number up. Versus, uh, if you bobble some some terrible st- or some super easy stuff, Seth Beer style, uh, that's going to really hurt you. But Christian Walker was indeed second, so that helps him. He's 29. Uh, he doesn't have any options, so if he's playing, I think the playing time should be there. He should be able to fend those guys off. The problem would hit if there's an extended cold streak, and they're like, did the magic run out? Was it a one year wonder type? Uh, scenario with Walker, so that's and that's do, kind of that that balance. And do the Diamondbacks want to capitalize on that season last year? Uh, yes. I mean, they have shown the desire and ability to trade away pieces while still competing. Yep. So absolutely, I mean, like yeah, if they make feel move. if they feel like they can get top of the or you know some some good return on him and know that they've got Cron and Seth Beer kind of waiting in the wings and Jake will, Lamb. <laughs> I'm being serious. If he's at, if he's got any any amount of health, which he hasn't the last couple of years, yeah, oh, but he's right there too. You're so Jake cute. Lamb, Jake Jake Lamb is a much bigger threat to his playing time than Seth Beer this year. Mm. Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, it's the truth. Like it, it, it it's it's true because as you mentioned, Seth Beer cannot play the field. Uh, I don't. Neither can him. Jake Lamb because he can't stay healthy enough to get on the well, field. Sure, sure. I just, I, I don't like, is find. Is he even playing in spring training right now? Yeah, he's actually dominating. But, but go off. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, good for him. I mean, I, I hope. Points? I love Jake Lamb. Like, I hope it. Like, I hope like one day he gets back to being the thirty home run guy that he you, was. That's the threat, though. Yeah, it wouldn't with, with surprise health. me. With health. Well, uh, it would surprise me. Biggest, it would surprise me a lot. If. Yeah, it's it's um, a huge if. Uh, I mean, and Lamb can play third too, so it's mm-hmm. it's not like if if that if that breakout ends up happening, like they could always move. Uh, well, let's see. I guess they could. It would move. require like Escobar moving back to the outfield, or or, or Marte moving. Tell. yeah, Marte moving back to the outfield. Um, yeah, but then where like Starling has center on lock, so they they yeah, have movable you, pieces. You put them in right, and I mean Cole Calhoun's not stopping anybody from. Well, if he hits 30 homers again. The bottom line for me, I'm not particularly concerned about Christian Walker's playing time going into the season. There are scenarios that could pop up where where that becomes a bigger issue, but I think he's got a pretty firm handle on it 
uh, right now. And he would have to hit a pretty big slump to really start costing himself. So he's a, he's a very capable corner infielder. I like him in that offense. I really like that that Diamondbacks ball club. So that's what uh, that's what gives him appeal for me. Let's move to Jock Peterson, who you know is still currently with the Dodgers. So until something changes Apparently. there, we have to we have to go with that. So he's not going to play against lefties. He's terrible against them. So he shouldn't. Is it just rinse and repeat on the on the seasons that we've been seeing? Except for the one factor, he won't be leading off anymore. Remember, he used to lead off a lot against right-handers, uh, which really helped his value. Now with bets there, he's going to be batting lower. That is probably the underrated factor that hasn't been discussed enough about Jock Peterson's uh, value. He had 107 of his games last year, 441 of his plate appearances came from the leadoff spot. Uh, that's not going to happen this year. So... What are we doing with Jock Peterson now as a part-time player batting more of the middle of the order? Great team, but it's a volume standpoint, right? Because his volume's already compromised, and now he's batting fifth instead of first. Yeah, it definitely hurts, uh, especially the run scored. I think we're probably looking at him as a guy that is more of like a 65-65 uh, runs and RBIs a guy as opposed to being like an 80-80 or a 75-75 uh, I still think he can hit 30 home runs. I still think he's going to get enough playing time uh, to to be that. And, uh, and you know, the outfield first base eligibility is always great late uh, in, in a draft. I, he's my favorite guy in this tier. And I don't think it's particularly close. And there's always the opportunity that they could trade him. Uh, you know, maybe the Angels finally, you know, get their hat out of their ass and go... Hey, you remember that trade we made? I'm still pissed. Like about I that, don't dude. understand like how I haven't you know. gotten over that at all. Like I'm so, still irate. You know, or maybe uh shit, you know, maybe a, another team jumps in and you know the Indians who just, you know, had Oscar Mercado get hurt, you know, and they go, "Hey, you know, our outfield sucked to begin with and now we just lost our best outfielder." Uh, you know, we'll trade we'll, we'll trade you, <laughs> you know, a, 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 a I can never pronounce the dude's name. Regifno guy, Refigno. Re- oh, uh, Renhifo. Luis Renhifo. Just the G is an H. What That's you, all. What you said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe the Indians go, you know, hey, Jock Peterson isn't super expensive, only, you know, $8 million this year. Uh, you know, that's cheaper than we'd have to pay a guy like Puig. Uh, we can always use, you know, uh, another arm uh, with our arms getting hurt. So we'll, we'll, we'll trade you some crappy utility infielder or, or, you know, low end prospect for uh, both those guys. God, it'd be nice if Peterson and Stripling got out of there. Yes. I'm going to just keep on crying about it. Cause it's so frustrating, dude. I like both those players so much, especially yeah, Stripling. So yeah, Peterson is just kind of, it is what it is. Let's go to CJ Crone. who's going to move over to my tigers. In fact, they just, they just transplanted the right side of, Minnesota's infield to their own with Crone and Scope. Crone, you know, has quietly had two solid seasons in a row. Tampa Bay at 30 homers. They said, hey, cool, that was nice. Bye. Uh, they just <laughs> moved never, on. I did not get that either, too. <laughs> so weird. And then with Minnesota, he hits 25 homers uh, in, in 125 games. So he was certainly pacing toward another 30 homer season. And they're just like, bye. And the Tigers get him for six mil. It's like, man, 25, 30 homers just doesn't go for what it used to anymore but he's he's going to be a mainstay in the tigers lineup uh basically he should be able to get every plate appearance that his body can handle 
Uh, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, you know, push for 155 plus games again if he, as long as he can handle it. There shouldn't be any sort of platooning. He, CJ Crone at age 30, has a very good chance to set new highs in games played and played appearances. And like I said, he's paced toward and hit 30 homers in each of the last two years. What are we looking at here from uh, Crone? Can he hit 35 with the Tigers if he plays 150 plus games? I think you pencil in. 28 and any you know and like a 250 and anything on top of that is gravy and I, okay. but I, I do think that that is in the cards i think uh i mean the only concern i have is that uh mid-season he's doing so well the tigers uh capitalize on that <laughs> trade him and becomes a bench bat and becomes more of a platoon guy yeah exactly because he is a right-hander um, so Crone could end up on, on the wrong side of a platoon, and that would be uh, tough. The one thing is the trade market for first baseman. I mean, it just has yeah, the free agent market. Where would you put Hasn't him? been rich. Yeah, that, that, so, yeah, that's hard. But I mean, it would, you know, someone getting would have injured. to open up. Yep. Yeah, you know, something like the Matt Olson injury happening midseason to someone, you know, someone breaking their handmaid or, or whatever, or the yeah. or the Yankees just continue to fall apart like a, a leper colony. Uh, you know, and, and then they go, well, I guess we need C.J. Cron. Yes, Why don't you send Matt, Matt Boyd, too? Just make it a, you know, twosome. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that that it, that could be something where it's like, hey, well, uh, Matt Boyd's the, the piece here, but give us give us a bat in the form of, of C.J. Cron with it. All right, let's move on to Eric Cosmer. Uh, about as boring as it gets, apparently – after being told for many years that he should get some more lift on the ball, he's finally deciding that he's going to consider doing that this year. Um, are you buying in on a potential change from Eric Hosmer now that he said that he's he's going to finally try to start lifting the ball as if he shouldn't have been doing that for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven, ten years? But he's a good <laughs> like, clubhouse guy. Yeah, he's, he's such a great clubhouse guy. Um, I mean, he went twenty two ninety nine. With a 265 average and 72 runs last year, there is fantasy value in that. I know it's boring, and and he's almost universally hated as a fantasy pick. Dude, come on, don't 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 be ridiculous with it. Of course there is, especially because of volume, and that's the thing. He volume is the is the one asset that Hosmer unquestionably contributes. Mm, that is and, true. Uh, he's an accumulator. Uh, it's not sexy, uh, and I don't want it on my team. Okay, so you don't buy in on the potential uh, lifting of the ball at all. Like even if he does, let's say he does, and that gets him five more home runs, and so we're talking about a guy who's potentially like a twenty-six, twenty-seven homers at two. Like that ceiling isn't worth the downside of What's what the downside. I think the downside is like a stolen baseless two thousand eighteen, which is. 250 with 18 home runs, you know, 70 runs, 70 RBI. Okay. Like, and that, um, that just doesn't where play. Are you on, where are you on San Diego's offense I, uh, as far as protecting his, his runs, ribbies potentials? I do like the potential of that uh, because I do like their offense a lot. And that's why, like, I don't think necessarily he's gonna, you know, see that floor. But uh, I also don't necessarily think, I, I'm buying in on this guy becoming a power hitter uh, at, at this point in his career either. So uh, I, he's he's a better version of Brandon Belt. 
Dude, that's crazy. I literally was just going to bring that up and say that Belt's 19 is is, is about what you're talking about. He's except, like uh, Belt without concussion. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. And Belt, for reference, was 35th among first basemen last year, whereas Hosmer was 18th. So that's kind of your range. So, okay, I mean, yeah, I, I don't want him on my team either. Just just so we're clear, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Um, I don't really see some big revolution of where he's going to start crushing the ball now and pop 30-plus homers at any point. And he used to be batting average upside. In fact, you know, 2017 is not that long ago. He hit 218. But the three, se- three seasons around that, 16, he hit 266. And then 253, 265 the last two years for Hosmer. So that's pretty much the clear outlier, um, at least in the last four years. And you have to start going too far back to really call him a batting average asset from 13 to 15. So I'm with Jan Hosmer, not going to be on my teams. Not really even as the CI. I'd rather take a gamble on this next guy here bouncing back because I think I really only need health, which is a big, a big need. Don't get me wrong. But I think Daniel Murphy could still be something. Of course, you know, he kind of Ian Desmond us. Uh, he went out to Colorado, Cal- uh, got worse. Colorado and got worse, dude. And we're sitting there like, oh, this guy's been amazing. And and granted, Desmond hadn't been amazing, but we're like, we'll take Desmond's power-speed combo out in Colorado. But we'll definitely take Murphy, who had been a really, really, really good hitter for several years. Now he's going to Colorado. Yeah, he's a little bit older, but this dude's going to absolutely dominate. Oh, he's actually going to have his worst season literally ever from a uh, WRC Plus standpoint and his second worst season from a WOBA standpoint. That was tough, dude. And a lot of it was health, of course, but he still played 132 games and it was really freaking bland. So now at age 35, are you willing to take Murphy as a CI bounce back candidate or are you just saying to hell with all of it? I'm mostly saying to hell with all of it. I think the one caveat is if I'm in some real need of batting average, uh, because he's kind of like Brian Reynolds at first base. So, oh, that's an interesting comparison, yeah. You know, he's a guy that, um, is, we like to call it over at the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast, a Gallo pillow. So he's the guy you pair with, <laughs> that's Joey, good. I like you pair that. with yeah. Joey Gallo, and uh, it kind of cushions the really crappy average you might get. Um, and then if you get lucky, then, you know, it, your average is looking really, really strong. So uh, I haven't gotten any shares just because it's not typically what I'm looking for in a draft at this point. Uh, but like I don't, uh, I don't mind people doing it either. I think he's, uh, I think he, you know, being in Colorado, if he does play 500 games, we're looking at a guy who should hit 300, right? I mean, I know the projection yeah. systems have him down for like 290, but I mean, this is a guy who was hitting 290, 300 uh, for the Mets, you know, or Mets and, well, Nationals, Mets and yeah. Nationals. So like the fact that he wouldn't do that in Colorado seems a, a a little silly to me so yeah i would say 320 home runs uh in okay counting stats which is probably a mm-hmm. bargain at this price yeah like he's on my list he's 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 up there for consideration for me daniel murphy is even at his age um i agree with you on the team need aspect if it if it fits there where i'm like oh yeah i could really use average the, the i love the gallo pillow that's that's very clever, and I, I agree with that. Shout out um, so, to yeah. uh, Colin Weatherwax and Walter McMichael for that one. I that, believe that, that's that, who came up with it. That, that's a good, good one. That, that's well done there. And uh, 
he could definitely be that. It used to be Gurriel right around this spot, too. That was a good gallo pillow. And now it is indeed Daniel Murphy. So um, don't be afraid to get him. Maybe don't load up, though, you know, because he had injuries prior to last year, too. This was not the first time. And now he's no, 35. He's never so been it could healthy. be. Yeah, it could be very maddening. So just maybe more of if you're multi-leaguer, maybe a token share. Don't just uh, say, well, Murphy's my guy this year at corner and every corner slot you take him. Okay, let's move on to Michael Chavis, Red Sox guy who popped up last year, uh, hit the ground running. He, he kind of a keynote it a little bit, though, right? Like he was insane immediately and then really – Really struggled. He played. He played much longer um, than, than Aquino, but it was a real big flurry initially. I guess I'm overstating. The June and July were were not good, seven thirty, seven eighty six. But that's not Aquino was like barely hitting my weight as a as an OPS. And then bad August, and then injury ended Chavis' season early. So the bottom line was two fifty four, eighteen fifty eight, and forty six. That's in ninety five games, three hundred eighty two plate appearances. Twenty four year old should have playing time for days. Am I crazy or have they talked about him as a potential outfielder too? I to expand his flexibility. I, I don't believe or at least I haven't heard that. Uh, maybe I need to go back and check some of uh, Jeff's mining the news. Uh, and see yeah, that. Yeah, let me but check on that. Well, I'm pretty but, but, sure he's going to be pretty much split in time between first and second. So, platooning yeah. with so give Moreland, us your thoughts there. Yeah, platooning with Moreland at, at first when Moreland's not in the lineup and then uh, playing second the rest of the time. I love Michael Chavez. I love the multi-position eligibility, eligibility between first and second, which are kind of the two shallower positions uh, in the infield, though none of them are, are really that particularly shallow this year. Uh, I think there's a ton of power potential. Uh, the second half kind of drop-off that happened, I think, can largely be attributed to injuries. He's going to be a streaky guy. Like, he doesn't have a great hit tool, but uh, he's he can, you know, he thumps. Uh, and uh, Boston has every reason to just let him go because they're kind of in this weird transition period. Um, and I don't know that, uh, you know, Mitch Moreland is the long-term answer at first. Yeah. Uh, and well, and they have or, nobody at second. Well, Jose like Peraza. Peraza. No, get, get out of here. I mean, it's not nobody. It's, it's somebody. It is it's, nobody. It's somebody who's been good in the recent, in the recent past. So good for fantasy, not good in real life. Well, that's fair, but that was, uh, a, that was not a good season in 2018 for Peraza. It was for fantasy 14 and 23, but he still had a 96 WRC plus, by the way, that outfield thing. Came from last year in like May. I don't know how I remembered that. And and well, that's because of... they were supposed to get Pedroia back. Remember? And they're uh, like, okay. so that we might need to transition him out. Uh, and Peraza is a decent defensive player. So um, <clears throat> he does have decent defensive capability. I will give you that. But he could also go to the outfield. Peraza. Oh, for sure. Peraza is much more suited for the outfield uh, in terms of if a guy needs to move. Like it, it shouldn't be mm -hmm. Chavez. It should be. The guy who's on the like one year util in or you know super utility role kind of guy. So so we're putting Chavis as a full timer, right? We're not really worried about playing time. I'm so not. I, I think, I'm not either. I think he should be in line for 500 plus plate appearances this year. Yeah, uh, I disagree with the projections that have him all sub 500. Yeah, and he, I mean even though they've got him all sub 500, they still have him with you know 20 plus home runs. Uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, 245, you know, kind of batting average. Uh, I mean, outside of the bat, who's got him at 235. Like, 
at this point in the draft, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're struggling in average, you probably want to go a different way, and maybe you go Daniel Murphy. But if you're struggling in any other direction, I think the upside on Chavez, the flexibility uh, positionally, uh, gives him a, a pretty big boost over uh, kind of the other guys at the back end of this tier and in the next tier. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I would rather have Michael Chavis than Hosmer. Um, I think I'd rather have him over Peterson because of Whoa. Peterson's challenged playing time. Now, I, I, I can wait. I can understand I don't have to, it. Yeah, it, it's it's more because of Peterson's situation than anything against – now, you trade Peterson tomorrow, and I'm completely flipping that. You know that. So this is, again, I want to be clear that it is about the situation for Peterson, not his capabilities. But, yeah, I think I'm going to take Chavis over him, and then I'm with you on the uh, versus Murphy. It's do I need batting average or do I want the power, volume, and and youth on my side? Uh, and so those two become a coin flip based on team need. But, yeah, I'm putting a little star next to Chavis. I'd love to put him in as a CI or even as an MI because he has that second base eligibility. So he's, he's a good pickup there and um, should get – Upwards of 550 plate appearances as long as his health holds out for it. Um, all right, let's move on to the uh, corners with questions. Uh, these are all guys that you certainly shouldn't be slotting at your first base. And even as corners, they've got some questions. A lot of it's age. Uh, others are, we Tampa don't really Bay. know what we're going to get. Yeah. So we got Joey Votto, Yandy Diaz, Renato Nunez, Miguel Cabrera, Evan White, and Jesus Aguilar. So let's just start with the old superstars Votto and Cabrera and you know we know Miggy hit two homers the other day and you said you were in a draft shortly after that that pushed his price but since then you haven't seen an overinflation of his price um, like it tamped back down right after that day what are you doing with the two old studs here are you interested in drafting either of them at price yeah I mean at the price I think there's I mean if they don't pan out you just drop them so I, I have shares oh. Let me interrupt you quickly. I didn't give ADPs ranging from Joey Votto at 277 down to Jesus Aguilar at 345. They, I'm not going to give all the individual. They're they're cheap. They're late. Yeah, I mean these are both guys who were uh, future Hall of Famers, former first rounders uh, in Votto and and Cabrera. Um, I've, I've been I've been asked to make sure I repeat names more often because I'm I'm not as good as I got you, you are. Um, so, but uh. There's obviously things have not gone well the last couple of years for either of these guys. Uh, I still believe that the talent is somewhere in there. Maybe, maybe it's just hoping beyond hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hear you. I love both these guys. Yeah, I also think that, it, like I said, the price attached is nothing. So I can always go to the wire and get a guy to, to replace them if, if they don't work out. I'm more interested in Miggy, and maybe I shouldn't buy into the be- best shape of his life. Um, mm. But I do a little bit. Uh, Votto really hasn't shown me much other than his smile that makes me think that things are going to turn around uh, a ton for him. So uh, I, I I think I, I can't remember if it was last night I grabbed a share of Miggy, but I've got a couple of those. Yes. I've got one share of Votto. Uh, I don't know how much more. At least Miggy, at worst, will deliver batting average. And for a yeah. guy like me who likes to punt batting average, uh, it's always great to grab one of these guys at the end of a draft that I know is going to play and at least will help kind of cushion the uh, the blows of other guys on my team. I, I think all of that's fair. I was actually on Smile Graphs uh, last night looking, and Vado's smiles above 
replacement has actually stayed pretty consistent despite the fall off in every other fantasy viable statistic. So if you're looking for a good smile, I think I think Votto is a good pick. Can I make a confession on the podcast? Absolutely. I don't really like Joey Votto as a person. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think you're kind not of a, in on it. I think he's kind of a jerk. That surprises me that you th- I, I'm not surprised that you think that. I'm surprised that it doesn't make you like him. Given that you are also kind I, of a jerk. I am kind of a jerk, but you know, it's that thing that um, people tend to hate what the, the qualities in other people that they possess. Ah, I, I, I hear so, you. I, you know, I, I think yeah. he's kind of a jerk to people and, and, and you know, fans and kids sometimes. Like like the whole, like, think, like, like the whole fake out. Like uh, of, yeah, of throwing the, I, hate, I just hate that. Like a kid is sitting there thinking, "Oh my god, I'm about to get a baseball from Joey Votto." Nope. Get murked. Get yeah. murked, kid. Not like, everything in life is free. Like if I did that to a kid, like at a birthday party, everybody would be like, "Who invited this asshole?" Yeah. And I would but say because it's his, Joey his Votto, and you know, it's we, awesome. We've been yeah. trained to believe he's likable. It's it, I we we go. Oh, he's having fun. While the the seven year old kid is crying in the stands. Good, good. <laughs> life is free. Kid. Figure it out. It's not free. They paid. Their parents paid hundreds of dollars for those tickets. Not for a baseball. They paid for to watch the ball game. Watch the ball game. Shut up. Turn around. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I hear you. I can understand that. I think if I didn't like him so much, I I could like. There's probably guys like that who do similar stuff that I don't. I'm predisposed to dislike them, so I would say the same things. So. I feel you. I disagree because I like Joey Votto, but I understand that take. That that uh, being said, uh, Miguel Cabrera is a gem of a human being, and I will love him forever. Miggy, and by the way, you talked about the best shape of the life thing. I understand it's a meme, guys. I get that. Don't outwardly discount it all the time, though. It still matters. The physical shape. Because... If somebody came in in the worst shape of their life, you'd certainly do something about it. So I, I think it's gone too far with the meme to where people just ignore it. And the fact that Miggy is slimmed down and looks quite good, um, I think matters and should be taken into consideration uh, when you're considering him as a potential CI late in your draft. I, I'm a Tigers fan. I like Miggy. We know all that. That's not the only reason I'm saying this, though. I don't routinely dismiss best shape of their life. Um, I keep an eye on it, and and it could be a tiebreaker. It's not that the term best shape of their life is the meme. It's when people use it to describe a player that is clearly not, like, like nothing has changed. And it's, yeah. it's what the player is saying. Oh, I'm in the best shape of my life. When we actually see yes. players in the best shape of their life, when we saw Miguel Sano in the best shape of his life last year, we took notice when Pablo saw Devers was slimmed down. Yeah, Devers uh, being slimmed down when Pablo Sandoval lost all that Schwarber. weight. Uh, Schwarber. I, I mean, these things tend to matter a little bit. It it at worst it helps keep them on the field. Uh, and so, Bingo. like for me, like you know, maybe it doesn't translate to a ton of more power or anything like that for uh, Cabrera. But maybe I'll get 600 plate appearances. And mm-hmm. like I said, with the average, 600 plate appearances of a good average this late in the draft means something. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, he had 549 last year. So for all this idea that, that he was like, uh, you know, crazily injured, 
549 plate appearances of a 282 average for, for Miguel Cabrera. Only 12 homers. That was the prop. Well, and it also, it's, you know, in context to what the price was previously. Obviously not sure. last year, but in years, you know, in years past when he missed time, it was your second overall pick or your first round pick exactly. that was missing time. And no matter how much time they miss, that hurts. And the reason the best shape of the life matters a little bit for me with Miguel Cabrera too is because I felt like the power was gone because he lost his lower half. If that lower half is back, I think we're at least getting low 20s homers, which I'll take because it was only 12 last year. So And, and 16 in a, in a relatively foolish season of 2017 as well. So if I'm getting 22 to 25, I'm here for that with Miggy plus the batting average yeah, as you mentioned. if it's like 280 to 290 batting average. like That, that I'm here for. Votto, I am more concerned about because um, we haven't really gotten any indications it's hard not to believe that he was hurt last year um, and playing through it or else his skills just evaporated. That It's like one of those two things that you have to go with. So I don't know, man. I love love him as a player. I haven't been drafting him, though. Let's uh, let's go on the other end of the spectrum as far as uh, more, some younger guys here and talk about Yandy Diaz and Renato Nunez. I know Nunez was a reserve pick for us last year. You were a big fan. Um, I actually cut him before – I reap the benefits. So I'm going to give you, you get the check mark on that one. I, I was with you. And then I, I, I didn't stick around to get the, to get the benefit there. He hit 30 something homers. Yandy Diaz, um, dude is yoked to the heavens. We've been telling him to lift the ball forever. Thankfully he didn't wait as long as, um, Eric Hosmer, but he still only hit 14 homers. Oh, granted it was in 78, 79 games. So, Whenever they have like high 70s, low 80s games, it's easy to do that lazy extrapolation. You have to be careful and just say like, oh, 28. But even if you don't, even if you do that, but then back it off, you're still talking like what, 23, 24. And we would take that from Yandy Diaz because he's also a decent batting average guy. He hit 268 last year. Uh, I'm down with that. Um, he's a career 274. So if he is hitting low to mid 20s homers with the with the solid batting average. That works, and he didn't even completely revolutionize his game. He just got the ball in the air nine points more. It went from 23 to 32, and that really helped. Um, his homer-to-fly ball rate went up as well. So with Yandy Diaz and Renato Nunez, the the difference, I think, is that Nunez should be free and clear to play. And un, you know the unfortunate situation with Mancini is only going to further that playing time for Nunez, whereas Diaz might be the better player, but we have no idea on the playing time. So who do you like more and what are your expectations from the two Yandy Diaz and Renato Nunez? Uh, it's Nunez for me and it's not particularly close. Uh, so I think one, I think Nunez obviously has the better playing time situation. He's one of the few guys in this lineup that is not projected to, uh, to sh- split time in some sort of platoon. Uh, he's likely going to DH every day, though I, he can play third if, if need be. I just don't necessarily know that they're going to need him to. And I just think he's he's going to hit fourth in this lineup, drive in a bunch of runs when the Orioles actually score runs, uh, hit a bunch of home <laughs> and runs. And they will in the summer <laughs> yeah. in that park. They, yeah, he's going to hit a bunch of home runs in Camden. The average isn't going to be great, but he's also one of those guys that I think uh, could pop a batting average if he has like you know some real nice uh you know luck on base on balls. Uh, Diaz, I feel like I'm completely out on, uh, and it's okay. not because I don't 
love the potential. I just think he's going to be one of those guys that we never see the ceiling from. Str- strictly Tampa Bay. Yeah, well, I think part of it's Tampa Bay. Uh, part of it, even though he did get the ball more in the air last year, it was still only a 5.7 degree launch angle. Like, yeah, like half, it wasn't half. Like of I said, he didn't revolutionize this game. Uh, and now I'm a little worried about injuries as well. I mean, this is a guy that is just jacked, and we're seeing from guys that who are just jacked, too jacked, right? Yeah, too jacked in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, for example, Stanton, uh, Aaron Judge. You know, sometimes these guys they don't have the flexibility. Uh, and this is something I mentioned uh, a little bit about coming into last season when Diaz was getting a little bit of hype is, um, you know, if, if anybody has ever been, in, you know, real big into weightlifting, and I was uh, in my younger uh, years, if you don't do the equal amount of flexibility training with heavy weight training, uh, it can really actually be very detrimental to your to your muscle building uh, and to your health, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something I deal with now, uh, you know, now that I'm older is, uh, like I don't have the flexibility, uh, and, it, and I tend to get hurt very easily uh, when I when I'm doing things. Unfortunately, I'm dealing with a back issue right now uh, from sleeping. That that's where my life is. I slept, and now I have a back issue. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm a little you worried. For sleeping, idiot. Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried, especially because you look through kind of just his season game logs and stuff, and there are a bunch of seasons where he missed time. Uh, yeah, Yandy Diaz has not been a healthy dude. And then you add in the fact it's the Rays, and we have no idea what the hell they're going to do in terms of platooning people, moving guys around. Uh, yeah, I'm just completely out on Diaz. I, I'm, I'm not against that. I think that that's a, a fair assessment to just say, I'm going to rinse my hands of it. He's already going to be a later pick with Yandy Diaz. I don't want to also have to try to guess whenever he's going to play. Uh, this guy, you won't have to guess when he's going to play because it looks like Evan White is going to be brought in. Uh, rookie signing a, a deal without having played even AAA, let alone the majors. Looks like he's going to be brought in as a starting first baseman and be turned loose. Tell us about prospect Evan White and what can we really expect here? I've heard heard some interesting comparisons, even as far as like the athleticism goes. I've heard some Bellinger talk. Ooh, I mean, that is... I, I hate comps like that because I think it's unfair to the player. Uh, well, especially in a fantasy realm because then you instantly start thinking of Bellinger's production. Yeah, and I don't think he's got Bellinger's power. Uh, I think he could be kind of across-the-board contributor, a guy who can hit for average, a guy can hit for some power, a guy who can even steal, steal some sneaky uh, bases. The hard part is... He doesn't have a ton of. I mean, he, he what saw AAA in 2018 for four games. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he played oh, pretty okay. much all. Sorry, of, I, uh, he, he didn't play there last year. That was my no, no. He's the that. he's the first, I believe, the first minor league player to get a long term deal done from AA. Uh, so like, yeah. Now he is older for those for you know for for that for AA and stuff. Um. I think he's a guy who could hit 20 home runs with like a 260, 270 batting average. He is crushing spring training right now. Absolutely oh, nice. murdering the ball. Um, and that is the one thing that is actually, and it's hard because I always say like, don't buy into like the spring training numbers. But when you haven't seen a guy uh, before and you get <laughs> eyes on him and he's just crushing the ball, 
it becomes uh, like a little bit more tantalizing. And when there's no price attached to it, it's yeah, he's cheap. He's he's super cheap. And so I'm gonna grab a few shares uh, here and there. Uh, but okay, likely he's not gonna be. A, I'm I'm not gonna like oversaturate my teams. Like I don't believe I even have a share yet. I'm just planning. But you on are gonna get some them. Evan White. I think it's smart. I think especially uh, because they're they are they're just gonna turn him loose. And while right now roster resource has him penciled in at the eight spot, it wouldn't surprise me to see him get moved up uh, and kind of been given a little bit more prominent role, especially if he uh, if he can start the season out hot. So mm-hmm. I, I think there is a, a little bit of upside there, and uh, there's definitely a low floor because he is you know very inexperienced. Um, but I think there but is probably cut and move on before that would really impact you with Evan White, right? Yeah, for the most part, I I think he's one of those guys that you have to kind of have a a quick trigger finger on one way or another because in like twelve team leagues he's not going to be drafted at all, uh, and mm-hmm. so like if he goes on a hot streak you might want to just grab him and stream Jump. him. Uh, but the same way, like in your deeper formats, if you draft him, if he starts off slow, just just cut bait and go to someone else. I think all that's completely fair with regards to Evan White. Let's talk about somebody looking for a bounce back out in Miami. That's Jesus Aguilar. Uh, had the huge 18, and there were some expectations tied to him going into 19, and he did not meet those, particularly with Milwaukee where he really flopped. But then he went to Tampa Bay, uh, found a little bit of, of, of his groove back, but it was a tiny sample, and again, it was even only a little bit. It wasn't like he got fully back on track there with Tampa Bay, and I think he was being uh, platooned there, so it was really most of his work against the lefties. Marlins took a chance on him. I think it was a good chance to take, put him in at first. The only thing I hate about it is I like Garrett Cooper, and that basically ate up a lot of his potential playing time, but Aguilar slotted into the middle of that lineup, which is actually pretty decent now. VR, Brian Anderson, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar as a top four isn't too bad. I'm actually in on the Isan Diaz train uh, as a prospect who can who can do some things this year. And then depending on how you feel about Alfaro, Brinson, and Rojas, um, it's not an elite team. I'm not pretending that at all, but it could be a 70-win ball club, which is a 13-win improvement. I think the offense could be a big part of that, including Aguilar, what do you see for a bounce back? Um, is 18 going to remain the clear and obvious outlier? Uh, or can he get back to more of like a – I mean, 17 was pretty good too. 837 OPS, 16 homers, and 311 plate appearances. That's still pacing out to a full season of 30-something homers, if you say 600-plus at-bat plate appearances, I should say. Where do you stand on a 30-year-old Jesus Aguilar in Miami? With the fences moved in a little bit too. Can we split the difference between 18 and 19? Because I think that I think so. I, and I think that is like the I the projection systems have him at like 17 home runs, except for ATC, which is at 19. I'm thinking more like 23, 24 home runs and like a 250 batting average. I think that's exactly where I'm at. And I think that is a really fair you know projection for a guy. Uh, who's going where he's going and is likely going to hit in the middle of that Miami lineup. I, I don't know where roster resource has him uh, batting, but I don't think they're in a position to platoon him necessarily. So, uh, I mean, I guess, yeah, well, they don't have a lefty first baseman coming off the bench. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think Aguilar is going to get full run. Uh, I think the only, you know, word of caution is, 
Miami can sell anybody at any point if guys are hot. So, like, there's a chance that True. At halfway through the season he loses a ton of value, but then you just cut him and move on. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, at this point in the draft, yeah, we're talking about this with some of the pitchers when we got deep in the in the list. Don't be worrying about the full season. You, you're 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 holding these guys on a week to week, month to month basis. You're not necessarily saying, "What am I going to do with Jesus Aguilar in July?" Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Don't worry about that till we get to July. So I agree with you there. I, I like your projection as well. Would you say twenty four and two fifty? Mm-hmm. Sign me up. Here's Sign the only up. thing I will kind of caution against, and I'm going to double check his career, but. Uh, Garrett Cooper was much better and for his career has been much better against right-handers than, than lefties. That's my guy, dude. That's Uh, my guy. So, I mean, I theoretically, uh, even though it's two righties, they could still platoon a little bit. You're right. With Cooper having the reverse splits, um, they could definitely, they could definitely, uh, do strong side with Cooper I don't necessarily think that's going to happen uh, either way. I think Cooper probably ends up playing mostly in the outfield anyways. Mm-hmm. So, but I guess there is that risk and that, that bakes, but I think it's baked into the cost as well. So sure, 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 sure. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what we're dealing with here with regards to Aguilar. If, if it was believed and and firmly felt that he was going to get 600 plus picks or picks 600 plus plate appearances he'd already cost a lot more so um, i do like that all right now the last group here is the rest and it's a deep group we're not going to talk about everyone just hit on a few that you that you really like uh ryan mountcastle in baltimore a prospect there who again with the mancini news might actually have his playing time outlook changed uh in the short term justin smoke Chris Davis, Howie Kendrick, Eric Thames, Garrett Cooper, Nate Lowe, Albert Pujols, G-Man Choi, Brandon Belt, Daniel Vogelbach, Mitch Moreland, Austin Nola, Jake Lamb, Jake Bowers, Dominic Smith, and Ryan O'Hearn. Give me some of your favorites there and just give a quick sentence about them. Uh, Justin Smoke, I, I think either the bounce back yes, is, is very possible and probably coming. The only question is the roster in, uh, in Milwaukee. Can he find a way to get to... 450 to 500 plate appearances. Uh, that's the hard part. Injuries will hopefully take care of it one way or another uh, there. But yeah, Justin Smoke is easily my favorite of this grouping. I just talked about Garrett Cooper as a guy that uh, could find his way into playing time uh, you know, because of the, re- the reverse splits. I hadn't really necessarily been in on him, but I think I'm going to start buying in on him a little bit more. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach. Uh, strong side of the platoon, late power. Uh, I don't really think that he's going to need to platoon that much anyway, middle of that lineup. Um, and that's really it. I do not like I, If I have waited to this point to fill my end of my roster, something has gone horribly wrong. Nah, this should be reserve picks uh maybe a ut if if you've waited but you really shouldn't be there i agree with you on the on the smoke i mentioned my love for garrett cooper i even mentioned some interest in in jake lamb you know who i really like though is austin nola and i like him for nothing to do with first base yeah he's the backup catcher dude and he doesn't have catcher eligibility yet but he's going to get it it's going to take a while 10 games and, you know, Tom Murphy's going – they're both righties, so there's not an obvious platoon. But Nola's better against righties than Murphy. 
So he could sneak a couple games a week as opposed to being just that once a week guy. And so if he does that, it might only be a month until Nola gets the 10 games. So on May 1st or so, you could have your, your catcher eligible guy. And I really like Nola as a C2. So I'm definitely keeping a close eye on him. Um, you know, G-Man Choi, Nate Lowe, get, get raised you know, shenanigans there. So I, I don't really want to mess with that. Eric Thames uh, is kind of interesting. He and Howie Kendrick out there in Washington. Kendrick was a brilliant player last year. Uh, deeper leagues obviously are going to stay focused on him. But shallow leagues, it's, the playing time is still going to be tough because he'll be 37 this year. I think they're still going to limit his playing time. But Thames as a strong side platoon at first base, I, I could see some interest in him with the power. I prefer him over like a Vogelbach. They do the same sorts of things, but I don't think Thames is quite as big of an injury risk. Or not injury, excuse me, batting average risk. Batting average risk That's as Vogelbach. Fair. My only concern with Thames, uh, well, not my only concern. My major concern with Thames is playing time. They 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 brought in Kendrick, or they brought back Kendrick, they brought back Cabrera. He's a strong side. But they also brought back Zimmerman. Like, they brought back all these guys uh, that are going to have roles. And I just, how many plate appearances but can we really, especially if he only, struggles at some point? Zimmerman's really the only one at first base there, though. I think Cabrera and Kendrick are, are, are Carter Keeboom couldn't play third to save his life. Um, and, and then, uh, so Castro could even go over there and open up second base for Kendrick. So I think Kendrick might get some of the plate appearances. Zimmerman could too, but Zimmerman's a health issue. I, your concern is not unfair, but this is the the role that we're talking about down here. That's that's built in. That that's that's factored for. So do you think I like, Kibu I like makes the opening him. day roster? I don't actually. Okay. I don't. Roster um, Resource does. They have him. I know. In every I know. Day third. Um, which... I don't. I don't go crazy about errors as a general thing but when you make this many in spring it's a problem yeah it is but i mean he's so good offensively it's, so it's, good. it's gonna catch the team's uh eye though when you when you can't field to save your life and so i think that's something that we need to be cognizant of right now with regards to carter Kimo. i think he has three or four errors already which yeah, is I mean, a lot in, in 10 games yeah so i mean Oh, I've kind of backed off my shares of, of Kibum. I got a couple early yep. shares, and I just haven't pulled the trigger recently. So Same. Same. Um, yeah, so that those are kind of the guys that I like there. Dom Smith uh, quietly did pretty well last year. Playing time is going to be a major concern. A lot of playing time issues here, but you got to keep these guys on your radar because time will open up, right? We're going into the season right now with – you know, everyone, quote unquote, everyone healthy and, and things are locked in as they as they seem. They change on a dime, though. Look at how the pitching landscape. We just talked about that at the outset, how that's changing. Verlander, by the way, diagnosed with a mild lat strain, not likely to make opening day, could be out upwards of uh, three to four weeks. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But things flip quickly. And so uh, keep that in mind. If you like the skills of some of these guys, Either reserve them if the league's deep enough or just put them on your watch list and be ready to pounce when something opens up. And I think Dom Smith is one of those type of guys uh, for sure. Maybe like a uh, – well, of course, Nate Lowe is too, but he needs a lot to open up in Tampa Bay. So I are, think that's going to come – oh. Are you interested in going back to bat for your uh, boy, the Bowers. son of J uh, Jack Bauer? <laughs> I knew I knew you were going to ask about it. Um you shouldn't. You, you, should, you should just cut bait and run. A little, if only because their outfield remains a disaster. That, well, that, that is true. That is very, very That's really true. the driving factor. That's the only factor, though. But no, not 
Not not really is the answer. I not think really, I, the, I think he should team up with his dad and do some sort of spinoff for twenty four. I agree. I agree. I would watch that. Um, it's a baseball themed twenty four of some sort. You know who I will. You know who I will go to bat for a little bit is Ryan O'Hearn. I still believe in some big power there. He had a disastrous follow up to his uh, little mini breakout in twenty eighteen. I was pretty hyped on him last year. And I mean, he was terrible. Like, there's no, there's no two ways around it. But the playing time is going to be there, and uh, he's going to get an opportunity to. Yes, dude. You keep asking these questions about the weirdest things. He's on Kansas City, dude. Ryan McBroom. That's not even a real player, dude. That's like their fortieth fake player that I've exposed. I'm out here. Oh, that's, that's right. I, you know what? I forgot Dozier's is is out in right field. That that I was thinking Dozier yeah, at first and third Franco at third. Oh yeah, Franco, uh, but no. No, O'Hearn's gonna get an opportunity. He's twenty six. Again, last year I sucked. They weren't gonna give our boy Brett Phillips the or even Bubba Starling out in, ah, in the outfield. Dude. I I love I love Phillips. Great guy. But he's a fourth outfielder right now. I and know, Bubba Starling shows yeah, but what what like what did Bubba Starling show last year that makes him deserve any point? Like he was fucking awful, yeah, dude. No. Well, I mean, just this is a this is a team that's going to be fucking awful. So why not give the former fifth overall pick in the two thousand eleven draft are better players to play? Yeah, no, I, I, even I, Alex I don't Gordon disagree. He was, he, I mean, he was even just a mediocre defensive player, which is supposed to be some of his value. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I give, give give our boy Brett a chance. We need more Brett, of his I, laugh I will go in to our bat life. For Bubba, I won't. But I, I love Brett. Great guy. Um, so that that's definitely favoritism there because of uh, knowing him and, and uh, him being an awesome dude. But he's a fourth outfielder right now until we see something different. So that's going to wrap up first base there. It, it's an interesting position. You can get caught in the cold if you're not careful. You need to be smart here and not just let it go. It doesn't have the depth of previous years when it was like, um, you know, it was almost like short, we treat shortstop this year where you can kind of keep pushing and pushing and pushing. That is not first base this year. You do not want to get smoked. And so I'd be open to investing early and then getting a corner, even, even on one of the upper tiers as well. So, um, all right, Justin, we're going to take a, well, obviously that you're not going to hear these on the same day anyway, but we're going to go take a break and then uh, come back and do second base, but it was great talking with you and I'll talk with you shortly. <laughs> 